Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Scott McAllister, at ST McAllister on Twitter. Today, we're going to be talking about funny and cringeworthy communication failures. When building and running software in production, we've all made mistakes. What's important is that we learn from them. Have you ever been told that your communication style is, quote, too confrontational? Or do you have problems persuading your coworkers and managers without sounding arrogant or condescending? Have you said something and immediately regretted it? We have all been there, especially when the stakes are high and we're in the middle of resolving a SEV1 incident. We're joined today by Michael Callahan, a lead software engineer with over two and a half decades of experience working in software development. Michael recently published a book about what he's learned about communication mistakes that he's made at work. It's entitled, Don't Say That at Work, Lessons Learned from a Lifetime of Mistakes. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. So to get us started, what we like to do, Mike, here on the show is we begin with a question where we ask folks to debunk a myth. So what are some myths or common misconceptions about communication mistakes that you want to debunk? I think the first one would probably be you don't have to respond to everything that someone says to you. You don't have to answer every question, at least not right away. Sometimes if you respond too quickly, you're going to respond the wrong way. That's never good. Yeah, I could attest to that. When wanting to respond quickly, there's emotion in there. And I've noticed if I have emotion in my responses, that the outcome is kind of up in the air, right? Things can go south quickly or at least escalate. Well, and you have the old adage too, better to remain silent and to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I use that saying a lot. (laughs) I live that saying. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said that. So uh, at least uh, that's what someone told me once and I'm going with it. I I think he tweeted it once. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) So Mike, the book, uh, I read the book and uh, it's full of extremely relatable situations. uh, Some that hit really close to home for me. Uh, I can say I've actually experienced several of them personally, or at least witnessed them. Uh, What inspired you to write a book on communication from this angle of what not to do? I've always been a contrarian, so I tend to take the opposite view of many of my coworkers and and friends and family, etc. But the book idea came about because I tweeted once. I said something to the effect of, next time you want to suggest a direction at work, rather than saying, why don't you, or why don't we, or you know something like, why didn't you use CSS to solve that problem, which is very confrontational. I said, rephrase it just a little bit to, what if we were to try using CSS to solve this problem? And someone responded to the tweet and said, dude, you need to put out a course on this. Because it wasn't the first tweet like that that I had done. And I looked back and I had half a dozen blog posts maybe, and uh, other things that seemed to fit the same mold. I could probably do this. And it was right about the time COVID was starting. And so my hour to an hour and a half daily commute was no longer a factor. I said, well, why don't I just every morning then, instead of driving to work, I'll take the laptop out onto the back porch and I'll just type for half an hour to an hour. And so that's what happened. Nice. It sounds like a common thread where 
you hear about folks testing out a product, right? They put something out there and then sometimes the unintended result is people like this other part of the product that you weren't expecting to do. So, but uh, getting inspiration off of, uh, you know, basically testing things out in Twitter and, and on your blog sounds like a honestly pretty ingenious way of, of going about things to test out to see if, if people really resonate with a, a certain topic. Right. And that was never my intention. Uh, I yeah. had done a couple of books and courses on web development and Ionic mobile development, but nothing non-techy until that point. And the really cool thing is when I got the book, I released it simultaneously at Amazon as a Kindle title, but also on gumroad.com as a PDF. And when I tweeted my release day announcement, I also CC'd uh, Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. So I've been reading a lot of his books, and one of his books said something to the effect of, get used to putting yourself in embarrassing situations, potentially embarrassing situations. So I said, you know what? Why not? What have I got to lose? And so I CC'd him on the tweet announcing the book, and he retweeted it. Nice. To his 100,000 plus followers. So that's been my single biggest sale day ever was release day. That's awesome. And Gumroad is the platform where you have your tutorials that the, or the courses that you've wrote for? Everything I've written, yeah, books, um, courses. I think right now I've even got a uh, book one hour with Mike Private Consulting on there. Nice. Uh, you can sell just about anything on Gumroad. Mostly it's for content creation. So you'll find all my books and courses there at uh, walkingriver.gumroad.com. Got it. That's how I discovered you. So the, to share with the audience my context, I discovered Mike through one of his courses on Gumroad about the Ionic framework. And so that's why I was curious. So that was the only time I've been exposed to Gumroad was through that Ionic course. I was curious if it was just technical courses. It sounds like it's just content in general that is there. Yeah, I think people even publish comic books. I'm sorry, graphic oh, wow. novels, or whatever they're called. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can sell art, you can sell music, you can sell just about anything you want on Gumroad. All right. So it sounds like the way that you got into the book is, you know, the, the topic started resonating with folks through your tweets and blog posts. Why do you think a topic like communication breakdowns, like what do we as humans I mean, like, even like right now, I'm having a problem answering the question or asking this question correctly, right? So, I mean, uh, so why do you think we have such a problem with communicating and such a hard time with it? It's hard to say. I mean, this is something we all do, right? That That's kind of the point. You know, if you want a glass of water and you need help getting it, you need to ask someone to help you. I don't know what makes it so hard. I, I wonder if maybe we overcomplicate it. That would certainly explain, like... I mean, in the microcosm of me asking the question just now, I was overcomplicating the wording in my head leading into asking the question when in reality, we just need to just to do it, right? We need to just ask the question or state the thing that we're trying to say. Right. Just say what you want. Don't beat around the bush. Don't try to make things too complicated. That was an issue for me for a long time with emails. My emails would be a page and a half long. And finally, a manager took me aside and said, what do you want from this? What is your goal from this email? Type that first. If we need supporting documentation or information, you know, we can ask for it. Okay. For example, let's say I want to use Ionic in an upcoming project at work. I could start by writing this really long email about all the cool things that Ionic can do. 
but it would make a lot more sense to say, we've got this project coming up. It needs to look really good on a mobile. It needs to look good on a desktop. What would you say about using Ionic or at least giving it a try? Because it looks really good on a mobile desktop, switches back and forth between iOS and material design automatically based on device. Can we give this a try? And maybe even that was too many words, but it's a lot longer or a lot simpler than the long-winded emails that I used to write. Why do you think we wrote such long emails? Because I, I feel like when I'm working with folks who are very verbose and, and do write long emails or talk, like they'll take up a whole meeting to say one thing, but they took up you know 28 minutes of a 30-minute meeting talking. Do you feel like maybe it's we, we're trying to justify ourselves or kind of prove our like our intelligence to the to the group or what I think it's probably different for different people some people really do like to hear themselves talk I don't think I'm that way anymore <laughs> maybe I am <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I think some people just have so much to say that they think they've got to say it all but it sounds like you've discovered that by boiling down to these the specific things that you're looking for you were able to get a lot more buy-in or a lot more engagement with the messages you were trying to send. Yeah. And, and there's a, a chapter in the book about a technique coworker of mine and I discovered a few employers ago. So not my current one. We had a COO who really wanted to be involved in every decision. It was a small company. So COO, you know, knocking on your door is not a weird thing. Um, weirder thing is that we had a COO in a company with fewer than 20 people. But anyway, he and I got together and said, you know, we've got to come up with a better way to propose ideas to him. So what we would do, we came up with a template, email template. It was, dear COO, here's a problem we are currently experiencing, followed by one or two sentences summarizing the problem. That was it. No details. We believe, after deep discussion with you know each other, that one of these three possibilities is the way to go. Option one, option two, option three. Not caring which option that he would eventually choose. We only gave them the options we liked. You know, if we, if we thought it was a bad idea, we didn't even say it. Which of these would you like us to proceed with? Now he's involved. We don't have to spend an hour meeting with him. If he wants more information, he can request it, which he never did. He almost always picked the first option, so that was our favorite option. He got to feel involved. We got to do what we wanted without a whole lot of fuss, and everybody was happy. Some people might say that, oh, well, you manipulated him. Well, maybe. But ultimately, I think it, it was the right amount of time and the right amount of detail for the individuals involved. Because he's he does have other responsibilities other than answering our questions. So yeah. this um, respected his time. We had gone and done the one to two hour analysis ahead of time, you know, the other developers. And so we were confident that one of these two or three maybe sometimes four options would work. I think it also helped, like you mentioned, that rather than just asking the question and saying, you know, what should we do? You did the research, you did the legwork, you said, here's what we think. What do you think you know, of these options? Which do you like? Uh, I think right. it's, it's a great communication tactic to get people engaged. Because like you said, especially as you go up the chain in an organization, their workload and the number of people they need to be talking to and the decisions they need to make increases. And so helping them do their job more efficiently helps you get what you need uh, more efficiently, I think. Right. I, I once told a manager that I felt that part of my job was to make her look good. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great rule of thumb. Uh, and there's another quote, um, you know, staying on this being brief and not talking too much. And now that, uh, that Amazon, uh, video or, uh, Amazon prime series wheel of time is, is out. And by the time you publish this, it'll be over season one. Right. But I was a huge fan of those books. And there's a quote from one of the books that says, he strains to hear a whisper who refuses to hear a shout. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you don't talk a lot, and when you do, you speak slowly and softly, people will not ignore you. They'll try to, what, what, what is he saying? You know, they'll, they'll want to know what you're saying. I love Robert Jordan. He's a great, great author. I'm also working through the, the TV series. But yeah, that's that's great advice and to think about. So as software engineers, you and I are, are, are both are, you're currently a software engineer. I, I was a software engineer in a previous life. We kind of get a bad, like when you think of the typical software engineer, we get a bad rap. We, cause people kind of imagine, you know, we're, we're that person who's, you know, happy in a small dark room, not talking to anybody and we're bad communicators. Do you feel that that generalization is justified? Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, because I was like that. Yeah. I was very happy if you told me what to do, stuck me in a corner with a computer, bigger monitor, the better, and just said, go do this stuff. Don't invite me to meetings. Don't ask me questions. Just let me get into the zone and stay there. And I know a lot of people like that. I know some brilliant software engineers who don't want to talk to another human being throughout the day. Fortunately, if you will, that job I was at where you know we had the, uh, the email template with the COO, it was a small enough company that when we had a major release on the product that I was working on, they would send me to trade shows because nobody knew the product as well as I did, having just finished working on it. So they would get me an airline ticket and ship me off to the trade show in Dallas or Las Vegas or whatever, and I'm expected to stand in our booth for six or eight hours talking to people, essentially selling them on the thing that I just built. And I remember one time in Las Vegas, our sales VP, we had all these, you know, high level executives in this 20 man company. He got sick the day of his presentation. So I had to take over essentially pitching the product to a bunch of people in the telecommunications business. I didn't have his deck. I didn't, I wasn't prepared. So essentially I just gave them a demo of the app. This is what it does. And it had a rest interface on it that I used for debugging. So at one point I had pulled up the, uh, the page on my phone and I said, so this is what you'll see if someone dials 911. And I tapped the, I pressed the submit button on the thing and the system starts screaming and pop-ups everywhere saying, Hey, this is, this is Mike's calling and making a, an emergency call. This is where he's located. And it was really slick. Did it actually call 911? No, no, gosh. Okay. Because okay. uh, that's why I, that's why I submitted it to the REST interface. Oh, right. Okay. That I use for testing. Because no, I there don't really go. want to dial nine one one. No, not from a convention center. But that whole experience got me comfortable. You know, I don't mind sales situations. I don't mind talking to crowds. I don't mind um, you know dealing with people. Yeah. Interesting when necessity creates, you know, opportunities for us in, yes. in, in building our different skill sets that we didn't intend to build. But uh, sometimes those, those, uh, those new skills kind of, you know, present themselves in, in those ways. Well, as Scott Adams says, again, 
you're building your talent stack. And so you, uh, in one of his books, I think it's How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big, he talks about building a talent stack, being above average in a stack of different things. And the combination of those things becomes your talent stack. And if the talent stack is unique and valuable, you can succeed without being the best in any one thing. So I'm a software engineer who's probably better than average. Yeah. Who can talk to people, who can build, you know, PowerPoint presentations and deliver them. And I can make video courses and I can do voiceovers, which I've done for my current employer. So those things combined make me an above average developer. It sounds like a lot of those are communication skills, right? More yes. than just just the coding and the figuring out the the technical problems of making a software application run efficiently and run well and be a delight to use, as we say. And so it, it sounds like communication is, I would say, standard or or a good foundation for excelling in in your in your role. Absolutely. So in your in your experience, what are some of the overarching themes for the breakdowns that we have in communication? People judge you by what you say and what you do. People judge you by what you intend and what you mean. And there's often a huge disconnect there. I would agree with that a lot. That's a lesson I've had to learn the hard way a lot is uh, I know what I mean and I know what I'm trying to say, but the words that I use in the context that it's in sometimes gets received very, very differently. And so and then you have to be super, super careful. Yesterday, actually, I was going through a lot of issues in an open source project that I, I'm a maintainer for, uh, our Terraform provider here at PagerDuty. And as I go through those issues, I find myself, you know, I, I want to just be real quick in my responses and real quick in what I say. But if I'm quick and not verbose enough, right, like if I don't say it in the right way, I know what I'm trying to say when it's like, you know, this doesn't make sense or this doesn't work or I need more context or something like that. But the person receiving it might not understand what this was when I'm saying this doesn't make sense. Right. And so using wording is better. Exactly. We, we may go through five or six steps in our own head and arrive at step seven at the conclusion and say, this will splurt out the conclusion. And people who weren't following those steps look at you like you're an idiot. How could you possibly think that? Yeah. And some of the uh, lesser diplomatic ones might simply ask you that. Why, why would you say something so idiotic? <laughs> what? On the internet? People be rude? What are you talking about? <laughs> or even in the conference room. That is true. And so of the there, there's a lot of different themes that you talk about in your book as far as you were talking about using too many words when we're trying to communicate something in our emails uh, some of the other themes that I, I remember uh, reading about were something about like prejudice, like coming in with that kind of a preconceived notion on how a person should be. Uh, yeah. That was an interesting point. I don't want to give away that particular uh, okay. the, 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 that particular chapter, but what did you think? Did it did it did it affect you the way I think it did? You totally like I and, and the way the pictures were set. I was I absolutely thought that the yeah. I'll, I'll just say what you intended to happen for the reader happened for me. Uh, and, uh, that was, that was a, an eye opener for me. I, I, for being able to see, you know, you perceive, we perceive people 
uh, especially notable people uh, or politicians as people who believe a certain way. And so because we believe they believe a certain, we think that they believe a certain way, we attribute their words to always kind of align with that belief system. When in reality, you know, people can have different thoughts and change and, and communicate different uh, ideas. Right. And, and that, that chapter kind of came out of uh, a text message my son said. Uh, he sent me a text one day and said, what do you think of this? And he had a, had a quote. And I said, what idiot said that? <laughs> and his reply was, your favorite politician. Like, oh. <laughs> well, now I'm kind of stuck, right? <laughs> right. I can't defend it anymore. <laughs> it really is kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the key there is uh, recognizing when we made a mistake or, or that we had a, you know, a, a shortcoming or a flaw in our thinking and pivoting. Uh, and, and I think pivoting is a, it's a, in my experience in life, that's definitely helped me become better and, and avoid confrontation, avoid situations that would, uh, not be well. Yeah, there's a, a similar situation. I don't think this one's in the book, but uh, it happened recently. Somebody was complaining about a particular coding pattern, and my knee-jerk, not thinking response was, why is it like that? That doesn't make any sense. And the response came a few minutes later, again, by email with a whole bunch of people in the in the email thread, said, don't know, Mike, it was your code. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I opened GitHub, looking at it, Yep, that was my code. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but apparently I was not pleased with myself. Said every engineer ever. Yes. About yes. past code. The worst code is the best code is the code you're writing today. The worst code is the code you wrote yesterday, right? At least you hope so. Because if it's not, then you got to start evaluating what you're doing. I am a huge uh, uh, fan of, of scouting and, and, and encoding. Uh, I follow a lot of Boy Scout rules, and one mm. of them is leave the campsite better than you found it. It's a great point. I think of open source software, because I'm involved with a lot of open source projects, a lot like, kind of like a, a responsibilities on a campsite or a camp, you know, on a camp out where it's like you have, if you see something that needs to happen, you go and help fix that one thing. You help go or clean up that one thing. And then if everybody's looking and has the intent of the camp out or the intent of the project at heart, then, you know, everyone will be finding those one little things and then the whole thing will be better. And so I, every time I go on a camp out or I'm involved in a group project like that, I kind of see it the same way where it's, it, it feels like an open source project that everyone, you know, hopefully is looking at the different things that need to happen. So yeah, always relating software to life. <laughs> So in the book, it talks about a lot of the different things, uh, mistakes that have been made uh, in your career uh, with communication. When people read your book and identify the areas where they need to improve, uh, what advice or encouragement would you give those people that there is hope? I think where we started at the beginning of this conversation, don't think you need to respond right now. Probably the biggest lesson I have learned throughout my career, particularly with emails, is don't send it yet. So a lot of times what I'll do is I will write an email typing exactly what I want to say, what I'm feeling at the time, intentionally leaving off all of the two fields. So there's even if I accidentally hit send, this isn't going anywhere. 
and then I let it sit. No one needs to know my response now. It can wait an hour, it can wait two hours. In fact, it can probably wait until next week, in most cases. So I'll type exactly what I want to say. Save the draft, walk away. Do something else for an hour or two. Come back and reread it. On that next pass, it'll probably end up being chopped in half. This isn't relevant. They don't care. This doesn't help my point. This might be condescending. You know, just try to look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Or better yet, find the person next to you that you trust. Read this for me. Uh, I do that a lot. Come take a look at this. Even somebody who doesn't have the context, take a look at this. What do you think of this email? Well, if I were getting that email, then I would really be annoyed that you said that. Really? Why? Because it sounds like you're telling me that I don't know what I'm doing. Like, really? I don't see that at all, but okay, maybe you're right. Let me, how can I rephrase that? If you do it right, your emails will be shorter, which means they're more likely to be read. Uh, hopefully you won't be offending anyone. I tend to use words that I grew up with that some people consider you really probably shouldn't use that term professionally anymore. Mm. Like for my brain still says, Hey guys, mm. a lot. And I work for a place with a lot of diversity in the employment. So I try to be sensitive to that, even though I'm not a very sensitive person normally, <laughs> especially when I'm not thinking. So I'll remove hey guys and I'll change it to hello folks or team or something. But I almost always start with 50 plus years of conditioning. Yeah, uh, change is hard. And uh, especially when it comes to the words that we've always used. But uh, that particular change, I've definitely put a lot of effort in, into trying to you know, adjust my language and how I, I refer to groups. And it's getting there. I'm not perfect at it, but I, I'm definitely getting better at, at not, you know, overgeneralizing what a group of people should be or, or what, be, not, you know, not necessarily that I thought that, but that my words implied it. And so uh, that's a good point. Well, a friend of mine told me once that uh, his manager came down on him before saying good morning, ladies, when he walked into the office. And I said, were there men there? <laughs> <laughs> Again, thinking, right. not not really thinking a whole lot about it. And he said, no, I thought I was being polite. It was just the two of them. So I went into work the next day and I asked informally some of my uh, coworkers. I said, if I came in and said, good morning, ladies, would that bother you? And they said, no, I wouldn't. So it really depends on the situation. And I guess you need to know your audience. So true. That's, that's exactly it, is understanding who we're communicating with the context that we're in, uh, how familiar we are with those people. And so that that's a great point. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. That We uh, invite everyone to go check out Mike's book. Uh, again, it's called Don't Say That at Work, Lessons Learned from a Lifetime of Mistakes. It's available on Amazon. Amazon for the Kindle version. Uh, Audible for an audiobook version if you're an Audible member. Um, and gumroad.com for uh, also the audio version right now it is kindle exclusive so i can only sell it at the ebook at amazon there you go we'll have a link to that in the show notes uh and then 
Mike, we we love to have we love to close every episode with a couple of recurring questions that everyone gets to answer, and they're they're the same across every episode. Uh, so, what's one thing you wish you would have known sooner when it comes to communicating, and I guess c- communicating better? How to say no without saying no? It's a talent. It's an art. And I don't mean simple things like, "Hey, Mike, would you like a piece of candy?" No, thank you. That's fine. But uh, the example from the book is something to the effect of, we need to get this feature into this release. How do you say no without having it be a career-limiting response? Maybe there just isn't enough time to get it to the release. You can't simply say yes to every request that comes across your desk. So knowing how to say no artfully or yes and, yes if, I agree that would be a great idea if we can maybe change the release date or take this feature out instead. You know, what can I do to make it a yes for you? No, nobody likes to be told no. That's for sure. So is there anything about communication breakdowns? I keep referring to that because I keep thinking of Led Zeppelin. But anyway, it is a great song. That might be the title I use for this episode. But anyway, is there anything about communication breakdowns that you're glad we did not ask you about? So I saw this question in the document and I thought this one's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I felt that way because the nature of the book is basically sharing all the mishaps you've had. So it's like, well, I mean, I basically laid it all out there already in my book. (laughs) One of the topics that I avoided in the book, not because I have a lot of experience with it or have made a lot of failures in it. But I've tried to avoid, there's a lot of people, especially software developers, and I'm not sure why, that have a problem with the opposite sex. Men talking to women developers, and well, it's not vice versa. It's men talking to women developers. I avoided all that in the book. I've seen horrible communication failures, and honestly, I just don't want to talk about those. I don't know how to fix it. It can get uncomfortable. It's definitely cringeworthy when you hear the way some developers talk to their female counterparts and it can be offensive. It can be hurtful. And I just try to avoid it. Well, Mike, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for being vulnerable and writing a book about mistakes you've made. I think a lot of us wouldn't be able to uh, have that kind of confidence to, to put something out there to, to say, here's all the places where I messed up. You can learn from my mistakes. And so I, I think it's an encouraging uh, message to send all of us that we all of us make mistakes and we can all do better at communicating and, and doing our work. Fortunately, the worst ones happened decades ago, so they don't, they don't sting as much as they used to. Nice. Although one chapter was written while it was happening. Ooh. I won't tell you which one. Sounds good. Well, thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening. And I'm Scott McAllister and I'm wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes on pageittothelimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit, using the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. (laughs) 